I felt like we had to give it a fair chance. I think we did. Uh, we've given it a four-year chance. We don't have buy-in from parents. We don't have buy-in from educators. They feel as if it's been imposed upon them from Washington, that their voice hasn't been heard. I wanted to give things a chance to work when it's shown that it can't. If you don't then change, then you're just being stubborn. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. I think what I've done is more fair than what anybody else has done. Let me be really clear again, since you're good at mischaracterizing what I say, I'll, I'll make it clear and you can record it this time. I've got a budget to get done between now and June 30th and work to do. I'm David First. Later in the show, we'll be joined by New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz and reporter Petra Bartosiewicz. We'll look at Christie's aggressive defense of the Patriot Act as key provisions were set to expire this past week and how he's been making a big deal about how he personally used the Patriot Act to prosecute terrorists in his role as U.S. Attorney for New Jersey. But first, we're joined by Tom Moran, editorial page editor for The Star-Ledger. Tom, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. And Tom... It only took two years to go from this. We're doing Common Core in New Jersey, and we're going to continue. And and this is one of those areas where I've agreed more with the president than not. To this. It's now been five years since Common Core was adopted. And the truth is that it's simply not working. The circle is now complete. Okay, yes, the circle, or more accurately, the 180 on Common Core is now complete. And yes, uh, those are the two classic quotes we've we've been hearing a lot lately. First, uh, Christie at this school summit in Las Vegas in 2013, defending Common Core, and this week publicly stating his opposition. Uh, Tom, we've been watching several of the governor's pivots this year as he prepares for his likely presidential campaign, and, and this is one we've seen coming for many months. But how dramatic a flip is this? Well, it really is. As you say, it's a 180. Uh, When he says this just isn't working, nobody can really get an answer out of the governor's office as to what about it exactly isn't working. For five years, educators in New Jersey have been uh, using these standards to build local curriculums, training their teachers in it. It has support of the teachers' union, principals' group, superintendents. It has support of bipartisan support in the legislature. It, until now, has had full-throated support from the governor. There's a lot of hard work that's been done in the trenches on this basis. And even now, the governor says he's going to keep the tests, the HERC tests in place, which are designed to test the Common Core standards. So it's hard to know what's not working other than the politics of this. Right. And he says he's keeping the park test. I am not going to have our education in our state underfunded because some people don't want their kids to take a test. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't want to take any tests. And, man, if I could have convinced my parents to say you don't have to, I would have been the happiest kid in the world. But I am not going to put federal funding at risk for school districts all across the state of New Jersey because there are some people who, who, in my view, in a less than informed way, um, just want to end testing. So he's keeping the park test, uh, says he doesn't like Common Core. But just because he says that, what does that mean? Is he just saying that to give lip service to the Republican base, that he doesn't like Common Core? What, what effect will him saying that have in New Jersey? Well, most educators I talk to think the best case scenario is that people ignore him, and it really doesn't change much of anything. Because what he's set up is uh, he's going to set up another group to look at the standards and see how New Jersey should be different. And so he can stand up and say to the Republican base, I threw Common Core in the toilet. A few other states have done the same thing. They emerge with standards that are almost identical to Common Core. So hopefully this is just rhetorical political nonsense. And most educators I talk to are saying, look, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. 
we've reached a bizarre zone where everyone is saying the best course now is to ignore the governor. That's the best case scenario. I mean, if you are a teacher and you're working Saturdays and nights and you've been working hard to implement these standards or a principal, I know a lot of principals have really been working their tails off on this. Does this sort of take a little of the wind out of your sails to have the governor say we might flip the cart on this? I don't know. I mean, he appointed in the course of one of the more bizarre parts of this flip, he appointed an advisory commission headed by his own assistant um, acting education commissioner with people like the superintendent in Jersey City, Marshall Lyle, serious players, to advise him on Common Core and on testing. They were scheduled to report next month. I don't know what they're going to do now because these are people who are also on record as being ardent supporters of Common Core. So do they now dance for the governor in a month and say, oh, uh, by the way, we don't think it's working? Or do they do an honest report that contradicts their own governor a month after he's made a big national splash on this? Or do they just be quiet and go away? That's my guess. They'll just say some, say nothing. Plus, the governor has said uh, up until now that he's been waiting to hear what they're going to say in this report before he makes his decision. The Washington Post editorial board wrote a piece about this saying waiting for that uh, result just didn't obviously didn't fit the governor's schedule. I don't think there's another way to interpret that. Why would you go four weeks ahead of the scheduled release of your advisory committee if not for political reasons? I mean, keep in mind, Christie has said he's going to announce whether he's running sometime now in the next month or so. And this is just as New Jersey's budget crisis is coming to a head, too. So he has delayed that announcement over and over. Originally, it was supposed to be in January. Now it's June. I think there's at least a possibility that he's still thinking about it, and he had to test the waters on this before that deadline arrives. Answering a question about Common Core, uh, the governor says political motivations had nothing to do with it. As I walked in here today, I had two or three different parents come up to me and say, thank you for getting rid of Common Core. And so, uh, you know, no decision you make in this regard, especially regarding our education of our children, because it's an emotional issue, um, no decision you make will, will ever be universally popular. So, I, so the answer is I, that's the reason I did it and not for other reasons. Uh, that's just flatly not believable. The, the poll, a Gallup poll last year of the Republican registered voters found 76% of them dislike Common Core. And Christie has danced in the past over and over. It's not plausible that he doesn't know those polls and understand the political motive. He's still in the basement in the polls. He's absolutely in need of some juice for this campaign. Does this really help him politically, though? Whatever the polling numbers say about how voters think about Common Core, doesn't this just provide fodder for his opponents to say that he really is this spineless politician, that he talks a good game, but he doesn't stick by his beliefs? He'll change his opinion on core issues to win votes? Yeah, they all flip, of course. I think it's a little more dangerous to Christie because he's selling himself as the authentic uh, guy in this race, you know, the one guy who will tell you exactly what he thinks no matter what. Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Thanks again. Sure thing, Dave. The governor was in Belmar this past week, where he sort of addressed a question about his spicy remarks at the annual New Jersey Legislative Correspondents Club show. Let me stop you right there. I'm not answering any questions about this. I go to an event that you all put on, that you put on, and invite me to, that you tell everybody is off the record, and then you guys go out and report it. Um, and this is why no one trusts you. That's why. And I'm not answering your questions on it. Any other press questions? No, you can't. No, you can't. Next. Next.
This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. Over the past couple of weeks, as key provisions of the Patriot Act were set to expire, Governor Christie has been offering a full-throated defense, emphasizing the fact that he has personally used the act to make the world a safer place. All the different people who are expressing opinions on this in the Senate right now, uh, none of them have used the Patriot Act. None of them have prosecuted terrorists. I have. That's the governor speaking on Fox News. In New Hampshire, he also talked about how he used the Patriot Act. I used this tool extensively, aggressively, and legally as U.S. attorney. And I can tell you this, it works. So how has the governor used the Patriot Act? What terrorists has he prosecuted and sent to jail? To find some answers, we're joined by Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio, and reporter Petra Bartosiewicz, who produced an hour-long documentary on the terror conviction of Hemet Lakani by then-U.S. Attorney Chris Christie for This American Life. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Matt Katz, the governor has been so forceful in his defense of the Patriot Act. How much do we know about how he used it? He hasn't been specific. Um, he's he kept this vague as he's begun this uh, process toward campaigning. And, and part of this, I think, there, there's something obviously political here. I mean, uh, one of his main rivals for the Republican nomination, Rand Paul, has come out so strongly against the Patriot Act that it has become his foremost issue. And um, this is a good way of the governor differentiating himself. So he's been talking about it a lot. The only case that I could find where he actually, we know that his office actually used this, involved letters that were sent to casinos in Atlantic City, closing in on the one-year anniversary of September 11th. And there were um, provisions in the act that his office used in order to identify the author of the letters. And he has definitely, his office has definitely used it, um, and he is certainly the only one who could say that of uh, potential Republican contenders. But I don't know of any major terrorism case that was solved because the governor had, this, had specific powers granted to him by the Patriot Act. Well, let's talk about one uh, terrorism case. Petra, tell us about your reporting for This American Life you spoke with then U.S. Attorney Chris Christie, and you looked at the conviction of Hemet Lakani. This is an Indian-born British citizen. Can you tell us about this case? Yes, the case of Hemet Lakani was one of the first major terrorism trials to actually uh, play out in a in a in a federal courtroom, and Lakani was ultimately convicted. Today is a triumph for the Justice Department in the war against terror. I don't know that anyone can say that the state of New Jersey and this country is not a safer place without Hamid Lakani trotting around the globe attempting to broker uh, arms deals. It began back in 2002, shortly after uh, Chris Christie was appointed as U.S. attorney. The case in a nutshell involved a man who had no prior criminal uh, history, no history of violence, and no discernible political leanings. He was approached by an informant several months after 9-11, and that informant went to the FBI and said that he was someone who might be willing to engage in a terrorist act, and it sort of progressed from there. Mr. Lakani proved to be completely incapable of carrying out a terrorist act. He was basically tasked by um, undercover agents uh, and, and this informant to procure a missile, which was supposed to be then sold to a terrorist group. And uh, both the buyers and the sellers of that missile were fictitious. So he was basically in the center of a completely 
fictitious case. He went to trial and was convicted, sentenced to more than 40 years in prison. He died uh, in 2013 in prison. And his case has been cited by not just Christopher Christie, but also at the time by President George W. Bush as one of the examples of how we are kind of winning the war on terrorism. In the post-9-11 world, law enforcement has been tasked with preventing acts of terrorism. And this preventive paradigm is sort of one of the reasons why we have things like the Patriot Act. In early 2002, Attorney General John Ashcroft called the U.S. attorneys into the Justice Department, and he gave us a message directly from President Bush. What happened on 9-11 must never happen again. Well, I took that to heart. Over the years, I think we've seen that this mandate is not only impossible to um, absolutely uphold, but I think it has genuinely put a pressure on prosecutors, on law enforcement, to, to produce results. In the absence of actual terrorist plots being uncovered, what has resulted is a string of these kind of preventive cases that unfold as sting operations where the government is providing so much of the motive and the, the means to, that you have to question whether we're catching actual terrorists. Matt Katz, I have not heard a Governor Christie name check uh, this particular Lacani case uh, recently, but when the governor talks about using the Patriot Act and prosecuting terrorists, is this what he's talking about? This is one of the cases. Uh, he was in the courtroom, actually, for Lacani's arraignment, which I'm told was unusual. Um, and then after Lacani was convicted, two years after Lacani was convicted, he prosecuted another case that was very similar. And he had actually called this case the most significant of his time as a uh, U.S. attorney. This involved a group of Muslim Americans who were allegedly plotting to attack Fort Dix in South Jersey. There were foreign-born Muslims, and the plot had been revealed after their jihad training video, they sent to Circuit City to make DVDs of this video uh, back when uh, we did such things. And like with Lakani, they ultimately had to help uh, these guys. They called them the Fort Dix Six. They had to help the Fort Dix Six get weapons that they couldn't get on their own. Like Lakani, they lacked any known connections to groups like Al Qaeda, but they were all sentenced. Four of them were sentenced to life in prison. But Christie, to this day, is unequivocal about the need to prosecute those guys. He said they literally saved American lives that day when they arrested them. The question I think we have to ask ourselves is, with the cases that we do see in the public uh, arena, are we safer as a result of the particular people and the particular cases that are coming to the forefront? And it's interesting that um, Matt's the example of uh, the Fort Dix 6 is a great example because the FBI got this tip from a clerk who reported it. They didn't need the Patriot Act for that. And, and it's also a great case to cite here because, if I recall correctly, the tape showed footage of what these men later claimed had been a vacation in the Poconos. And some of the images that were seen on the video were the, these men riding horseback and snowmobiling and at one point, I think, firing guns at a rifle range um, and shouting Allahu Akbar and stuff like that. That is what served as the pretext for launching a sting operation. So clearly there was no plot there was no even intimation of a plot. It simply was a group of people who were deemed potentially to be terrorists. And the government decided we're going to find out. This is a big debate in Congress right now, and different courts have expressed their views on the program too. But right now, that debate is dominated by intellectual purists worried about theoretical abuses that have not occurred. Instead of the real threats that we've already seen 
from Garland, Texas to Fort Dix, New Jersey. If you're an ordinary law-abiding American, this legislation has absolutely no effect on you, except for this. It could prevent the next attack from taking place in our country and killing our fellow citizens. I think to a certain degree that kind of investigation is is warranted in certain cases. You, you want to see if people are actually planning to commit some sort of a terrorist act. But I think what happens in these cases is they take it to the extreme degree. So in the 466 case, you had the informant actually teaching the defendants about the use of Molotov cocktails or grenade launchers um, and things like that, that they never would have known on their own and had made no moves to find that kind of information out or to select a target or to even mount any kind of plot. A lot of this, in retrospect, as Petra's been saying, looks different than it did on the ground in the first few years after 9-11. And I think that's the point that Christie's been making when talking about it. He talks about his wife having worked in lower Manhattan and having to flee Manhattan on September 11th, 2001. I know what it feels like to lose people when they should be safe. This is not theoretical to me. I lived it. I lived it in my own home. Everything changed that morning in September. That context is significant here. And politically speaking, that's what Christie's trick is going to have to be to remind people of where we were then. And I have no doubt he's going to do that successfully because he's an incredible communicator and he will tell those stories. Um, And people, I think, because very few people delve into the very nitty-gritty details of these types of cases, that narrative is still, the narrative he's presenting is still, I think, the dominant narrative and it's a very powerful argument to make. Reporter Petra Bartosiewicz, who produced this fascinating documentary on the conviction of Hemet Lakani for This American Life. We have a link on our website. And uh, Matt Katz, who covers Governor Christie for New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks, both of you, for speaking. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That is Matt, K-A-T-Z, and Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. So, Governor, are you going to announce in Belmar? Announce in Belmar? Doesn't it depend on what it is? You don't want me to come down here and say, hey, no, I'm not running. Let's everybody go to DJ's and get drunk. You know, no, I don't think you want me to do that.